the world is changing and I want to make sure whatever I'm doing means something. And if there's something I'm thinking about doing, I want to go do it. I don't want to wait. My name is Louise Newsom, and you're listening to The Makers, brought to you by Trade and Prosper. On this episode, you will meet Matt Terminello, who is founder and president of Target 10, based in New York City and one of the first agencies to specialize in LGBTQ consumers. He is a leading voice in LGBTQ marketing, advertising, and PR, and he advises companies how to grow their business within this segment. Matt works with some of the world's best-known brands, including Johnson & Johnson, HBO, Starwood Hotels and Resorts, Anheuser-Busch, and Netflix. He is passionate about giving a voice to the millions of LGBTQ families that have always existed, but are only now starting to be recognized by major brands. When I decided to start this, which was a, a bit unplanned, but um, I basically emailed a number of my friends and I said, listen, I'm starting this initiative. It's targeted marketing. It's, we didn't say LGBTQ then, we said gay and lesbian. I said, it's gay and lesbian. It's marketing, PR, it's all sorts of things, you know, and I'm really not looking for those old tropes of like rainbow this and, you know, gay flag that. I'm like, what what should I call this thing? And so my friends just kind of started sending in their suggestions. And my best friend, Christy, she said, oh, well, why don't you call it Target 10%? Because they would say, you know, well, 10% of the, the consumer or the population is LGBTQ. And I was like, oh, I, I quite like that. But I just truncated it to just Target 10. And so funny, when we started, you know, we were like, well, 10% is a bit of an exaggeration. It's not quite that big. That's what we thought back then. In actuality, today, when we look at the spectrum, how people are identifying the giant bisexual population, etc., it's far greater than 10%. In fact, like they're saying that centennials and millennials, I think upwards of 31% of centennials are identifying somewhere on a spectrum other than completely heterosexual and completely cisgender, which is fascinating to me. So there's actually growth in this marketplace, which who would have thunk? Well, and really, it's, it's about cultural change and social change, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's maybe the number was always there, you just didn't know it. You're spot on. It's really who felt the liberty or the freedom to self-identify as such. I mean, you're coming from a passionate side of yourself. I was calling it a passion business. You're driving this space every day through through you living and breathing it too. I didn't actually start Target 10 until I was in my early 30s. And I love your phrase, passion business, because that's exactly what it is. And uh, no, I got out of school and I was living in Washington, D.C. and work was working kind of in the nonprofit arena. I worked for the American Psychiatric Association. I worked for a few professional societies. And Washington's a very government, lawyer, association town. And it was great, but I was, kind of, I was kind of yearning for a little bit more. And I wound up getting a job here in New York at a public relations firm on Madison Avenue, moved to New York City, and all of a sudden the world went from gray and black and white to technicolor. It's not a one industry town. There's a million things happening here. And I think just the world kind of exploded. And that's when I fell in love with communications and marketing and public relations and thought it was just absolutely, you know, kind of fantastic. But I had always had, a, you know, a passion um, for civil rights, for equality, for all people. But then particularly for myself as a gay man, civil rights for, for me and my community was very, very important. So I was involved in a nonprofit volunteering aspect and thought about doing it professionally. But 
I actually, um, as much as my heart is in nonprofits, I didn't want it as my career. So I was wondering, you know, I'm really loving this marketing thing. Can I marry what I'm doing professionally with something I feel very strongly about, and that is equality, to not just make a buck, which I definitely wanted to do that as well, <laughs> uh, but create some social change and build some bridges and make a difference. And that's when 9-11 happened. And that was a big moment for everybody in New York here. And you kind of take a minute when you reevaluate your life and you say, well, I get one ticket on this ride. And at that time, my firm was going through some, I think it's like third merger and acquisition in two years. And, you know, it was just that time when there was a lot of IPOs and it wasn't a really fun thing anymore. And uh, my job was going to be changing anyways. And so I took that opportunity, you know, January one of 2002 is when I started Target 10. And that's when I had kind of taken out my scratch pad of notes I had been making maybe for the past, not too long, maybe the past year of saying, how do I marry the professional standards of marketing communications that I really love and the creativity there with the gay community? What do I do here? Truth be told, I did have a client already that was interested in the space. It gave me the kickboard, the springboard that I needed. I did not start from zero. Um, right. I started with a little bit of something. Right. Um, how did that come about? Uh, that was an existing client that was interested in doing LGBTQ with the different challenges and changes that my agency was going through. I had actually proposed, hey, why don't we create a division that focuses exclusively on LGBTQ consumers like we do Hispanic, etc. They thought it was interesting, but just wasn't their jam, you know, and that was fair. It just wasn't what they wanted to do. But my client wanted to kind of go there, even though they were still doing 90% of work in other areas that my agency worked on. So when I left, there was no one else at that agency who could perform that gay and lesbian work for them. So I continued on with them with the gay and lesbian portion. Um, and that gave me my springboard. Did you have in your mind's eye the future and thinking about the growth of this space? I wish I say I did. I wish I had some grand strategic plan back in 2002, but I <laughs> honestly just thought, I'll give it a whirl. If it See doesn't work, I'll cater waiter and I'll, I'll go, I'll get another You'll job. You'll figure it out. Right, right, right. You were employable. So you just figured you'd need to go for it. And, and before starting the agency, I really was at a go left, go right situation because while I was Thinking about launching Target 10, I also had a job offer on the table to be a vice president at another PR agency in healthcare. Fantastic position, fantastic agency. And so it wasn't that I, I was so singular. I really had a decision to make. I think my father wanted to kill me when I said, I'm going to go start this instead of taking the, the six-figure salary over here. But it was, it was the right decision. Something I did right away which has been incredibly beneficial, is I met a gentleman um, who is, uh, he was the former head of Burson Marsteller here in New York City and Conan Wolf and others, some big PR agencies. And later in his, his life, um, he's a bit older than me. He's, um, I wouldn't say retired, but he's a professional coach. And he advises and coaches um, heads of agencies and presidents, et cetera, on, you know, where should you take your business? He's, he's like your, you know, your trainer at the gym, right? You know, he makes you think uh, hard questions. He makes you do hard things. Um, he's a sounding board. His name is George. While George doesn't have any background in LGBTQ, it didn't matter. He was asking me really foundational business questions and really smart questions. And, you know, that was uh, 18 years ago and we still work together. In the beginning, all my networking was for new business only, which, you know, is, is an important part of networking. Not long thereafter, I realized that networking is also for knowledge and for learning. You know, I wanted to meet people that could make me a better person at my craft, at marketing 
marketing, at insights, at culture, at, you know, a, a cup of coffee is, you know, $2. Um, but what you gain from that is so much more. And, and oftentimes, there'd be, you know, people you'd continue to stay in touch with. And there's so many that even if I'm not in touch with them so much anymore, it really wouldn't be out of the ordinary to kind of ping them. Um, you know, reach back five years because you just heard something really interesting that right. they might know about or they might be interested in and exactly. you could connect them or they could connect you. And I think everybody always appreciates that. I certainly do when people remember me. But I like to see myself as a bridge builder. And honestly, that's what my business does it is really bridging uh, between a brand and the people that work on that brand and a community. Um, sometimes they're one and the same, but often they're not. What kind of research did you do to really understand, to be able to go there confidently, not as a solo <laughs> person in the gay community, but to talk as a whole. How, what did you do? And it's funny, that's what it was a little bit like on day one. I'm like, I am speaking for everyone. <laughs> I'm like, do I even know what the hell I'm talking about? You know? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, our, our, the name of our game is all about cultural competency. You're right, because we have to bring those deep insights to our clients. I'm 50. I'm, a, I'm white. I'm a guy. You know, it, they're not always looking to reach me. And so we make it a point to really understand issues of gender age, orientation, identity. You know, I do a lot of focus groups, for instance, just finished some with black gay men who are HIV positive. That's a very specific group, you know, because that's uh, of keen interest to one of my clients. I mean, that's the thing is that your focus is massive. It sounds like it's one focus, but it's not. It's not. And I wouldn't say that, you know, it's, you can have things that are overarchingly like LGBTQ marketing, that's usually when your corporation is trying to make a stance on equality, um, and that's a great thing to do. And you, you're trying to boost your corporate equity and your reputation as a progressive company and a fair-minded company. But more often than not, our clients have a keen interest in a specific demographic within the segment for a reason. It might be travel, it might be healthcare, it might be uh, entertainment. And so we need to understand that mindset. And there's no way we can know everything, but I do think we probably know more than most. And we really invest very heavily in both quantitative and qualitative research to know that. So you, Louise, your question is totally spot on. The Makers is brought to you by Trade and Prosper. Here we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those who are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds and hearts to create a better place for us all and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods and services, as well as build long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. For more information on our organization and for more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. Follow us on social media for the latest news and events about businesses near you. You know, a couple of years ago when everybody was celebrating marriage equality, which was terrific, you know, there were 90 brands hashtagging love wins. Well, who was that? Allstate or Nationwide? Was that Chevy or Ford? It's it, There's no differentiation. So I think the whole business I'm in is like, find an insight that's really relevant to your brand and relevant to someone in the LGBTQ community. Make that connection. I mean, you have quite a task on your hand because you're going to companies that are not necessarily educated, whatever their own stance is, right? So you have to go in and educate and then through the education, be able to sell your services. What we have to do every time is try and get a sense of, you have to get a sense of where they're at. 
how comfortable are they? How familiar are they? Are they at the, you know, LGBTQ 101 level or are they at the advanced degree? Um, you don't ever want to talk down to someone and assume they don't know anything. And the other situation, you don't want to go in and start talking over their head and, and you don't want to scare them because ultimately at the end of the day, we're talking about humanity and humans and people and people don't have to be scary. There's no reason for anyone to be scared. So yeah, we have to really try to take the temperature and oftentimes we have to educate before we can even start talking about what we do. I have to say, when we first started, I have no idea how Target 10 survived because 2002 was way too early for this. You know, my colleagues in the multicultural marketing space, Hispanic marketers, African-American agencies, Asian-American agencies, when I talk to them, they walk in the door and they still have issues of, oh, we're a real conservative company. I don't know if our our customer base is going to like us doing this Hispanic outreach or this African-American outreach. And I'm like, well, gosh, if they're having these hurdles, <laughs> if like Hispanic is like somewhat controversial with the immigration talk is going on, what's LGBTQ, you know? But honestly, um, it is changing every day. It's getting better. I'm always surprised and heartened of how forward-thinking companies are, are being today. But the, the quick funny story is way back when, and this is when I was doing a little consulting right before Target 10, it was for a major U.S. airline. They were facing a crisis in the LGBTQ community with some bad things that they had done, or at least perceived bad things. And they called us in for some advice on how to turn this around in marketing. None of their executives would come to the meeting without it not being recorded that they were in this room. It was secret. There was no mention of it. There was to be no mention of it. They were very afraid, even by association with these two or three gay people in the room, that someone might think they were gay or gay friendly or gay okay or whatever you want to call it. Why? This was, I want to say, you know, it, this was in the, in the very late 90s. You know, times have changed. Thank God. My first client, this one's a little embarrassing. My first client was KY Brand, the personal lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> with the guys, this will be a big hit. Let me do this for you. And I think they were really happy to keep it under the radar internally, but they liked what I was doing. And, um, and the sales we, we went proved up. The sales, the sales thing, <laughs> things went up. Um, you know, I, I blush when I say it because you, you like to think, oh, we started with Toyota or we started with you know, like Hewlett Packard. Oh, we started with a personal lubricant. Um, but but honestly, story. I did have a very solid foundation in healthcare, and that is from the healthcare world. And from there, we went on to work with other healthcare brands like Tylenol and um, pharmaceuticals. And we worked on lifestyle brands like HBO and Bud Light and Netflix and things like that. So we don't specialize in a product category. We also don't specialize in a discipline like PR, marketing, advertising. We specialize in the consumer segments. So today, it's really about strategy, content, and activation. And that's, that's, that's our, our sweet spot. How many do you have on your team? Right now, there's just five of us. Small but mighty. And, yeah. and the five have been with you a long time, right? The newest person on our team is three and a half years. All everybody else, I think, is over 10. <laughs> it's kind um, of amazing. So why do you think they've stayed with you? What's the culture of Target 10? There's a lot of magic in that secret sauce. I think I was lucky enough to meet some just outright incredible people. And we all really like each other. We're all unbelievably different, which I think also bonds us and brings us together. We're not a sea of sameness. We're very different lives and lifestyles and interests. 
And also, it, it when you said it's a passion business, I think, first of all, not everybody's LGBTQ, just to say that. But I think they realize that, yeah, we might be trying to sell a widget, right? But it's more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is about changing the world and building bridges. And every little piece of work we do is always positive and uplifting. And if that can make this world a, a place that brings people together, that uh, reduces stigma, I do think that we have been a pretty significant part of how American business has responded in a marketing capacity to the LGBTQ community with inclusiveness. You know, the people you see in TV ads today, I, I do take a little credit in some of that. Uh, my team, you know, kind of pushing that along and bringing it into the dialogue. And then to think really lofty for a minute, you realize that in other places in this world, you know, where you can be imprisoned for being gay, people look to the United States and America as for a lot of things, you know, that we set the trends, we're leaders, we're advanced, supposedly. Um, you know, if you're from a country where, you know, you could be put to death for this, but you see that America is exporting some values, at least American businesses anyways, are exporting some values of, hey, you know what, Marriott, regardless of what the laws are in a particular country, wherever we operate globally, our associates are valued, they're protected, they are equal in our eyes. That is a very strong message to be sent. And, and I think that's, a, that's affecting the, the world in a very good way. I've tried to also be less siloed with Target 10 and not worry if everything doesn't neatly fit into a marketing box. Because a lot of what we do is also diversity and inclusion. So uh, maybe something we're doing is affecting policies internally at a workplace. And I try to say to our clients, you know, take these values and make sure that in your locations outside of the United States, they reflect what we're doing here inside the United States. So you said before about starting Target 10 too early, but... You were at the forefront. I think we quickly grew into a very strong voice in this area. And I would say today, when it comes to certainly consumer marketing, advertising, insights-based stuff, I think, you know, I, I think we're the top dog. But, you know, I'm, I'm being a little a little house proud here. But, yeah, we're, we're pretty good. Right. There, are, there are a few others out there that are also very smart, very knowledgeable what they do. But I would say it is a small group of people. So, Matt, you know, you start off your business, you know, you're almost 20 years into it. Have you ever taken in outside resources, money, investors? You know, 2008 was a miserable year. Um, and we've had a couple others where, you know, I really had to dip into our savings. I mean, we have lines of credit with the bank and that, and, and all of that, uh, which fortunately I haven't had to dip into. It was miraculously so. And I'm really fortunate. But what was so interesting is when the financial crisis happened in 2008, the line of credit that we had secured, that we were resting on for a safety net, we found it out a year later that the bank had canceled it because they were tightening up on loans everywhere from the housing crisis. And we said, well, we have perfect credit and we've, we've never used it. Why, how, how dare you cancel this for, on us? And they said, well, we canceled it because you never used it. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> you could have told us you canceled our line of credit. So we went like a, two years without a line of credit and we didn't even know it. I mean, what have been some of, the, some of the biggest learning curves? I would say for me, I had to learn and I'm still learning this. And I actually feel like in the last even just in the, honestly in the last year, the reason why I feel like my job is going so much better is after all this time, I'm learning to let go. <laughs> I, I tightly control. I, 
I'm nice, but I can. I see my micromanagement sometimes, and I cringe. Then um, <laughs> I have a team that can speak back to me, which is great when they need to, and I try to listen. But uh, letting go, um, not worrying about everything being perfect. Don't let perfection be the enemy of good. Letting go is, is a big thing for me, and that's a more recent learning. And then I think the absolute number one most important learning is trust your gut. I I think you have to go through a couple really. I probably can't swear in a podcast, really crappy times, <laughs> you get burned because you didn't listen to your gut about a business situation, about a person. Your gut's your moral, not just your moral compass, it's your business compass, it's your, is the world upside down or not compass? Like trust your gut and chances are it's going to be the right decision. What, what do you see? What do you see happening in the next five years? What do you see? I mean, do you go beyond that even? 10 years. We do strategic planning every year. Um, We just finished our our business planning meeting not even three weeks ago. Our future is focused much more on deep consumer insights and consulting for our clients and for their agencies even. But it's it's big data. It's data and analytics and this one-on-one addressable communication that's happening now and how media is being bought and sold. There's a lot of people who are multicultural marketers who don't like addressable communication is very cold. You're not able to bring in culture through that. You you might know how to target Louise exactly at the moment when she's ready to buy a car with your with your ad, but there's no culture in that. That's great timing, but I actually think that you can marry big data and multicultural marketing and I think that is our challenge to figure out over the next 5 years because even with things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and uh, privacy issues is going to be huge for us to figure out, especially LGBTQ and privacy issues. I mean, that, that's just like a loaded issue right there. Um, but engaging a lot more in data, um, that's where our future is lying. And that's where we have to get smarter. And that's where we have to do more because that's what everyone is trying to do yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and it's an imperative. Thank you. This is fun. Great to see you. I know. Always good to see you. In my home office. (laughs) My virtual office. Thank you for joining me this week on The Makers, brought to you by Trade and Prosper. Follow us on your preferred listening channel for new episodes released every Monday.